1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I am your host, Adam Conover. I'm also the host of Adam Ruins Everything on True TV, which airs Tuesday nights at 10 PM. And don't forget that you can find clips and full episodes at TrueTV.com/slash Adam Ruins Everything or the Watch True TV app. Uh you can see the TV show there, and this is the podcast version of that TV show. Now we've been doing this show for a while, so you probably know what it is if you've heard it before. If you haven't, real quickly on the TV show, we have incredible expert guests from around the world of action. Activism and science and journalism and authors and cool people like that on the TV show. We only talk to them for like 90 seconds. Here I come and we talk to them for 45 minutes, perhaps even an hour, once even 90 minutes. And everyone agreed that that was too long, but the conversation was really interesting. And, you know, maybe we'll have to cut it down. You never know. But we talk to them in a longer format because every time I talk to them on set and every time I meet them, I found myself overfilling, overflowing, overfilling. Overfilling and overflowing with questions and ideas and thoughts, and and I just wanted to talk to to them more, and that's where the idea for this podcast came from. And that's what we're going to do today. So who are we talking today? Well... If you saw the housing episode of Adam Ruins Everything, which, by the way, was our mid-season hiatus. We're taking about a month off, and we'll be back with new episodes in November. Uh, But if you saw the housing episode of Adam Ruins Everything, you probably remember the segment we did on homelessness and the best way to address that problem. And in that segment, we talked to two incredible people, Rudy Salinas and Dorothy Edwards, and that's who's on the show today. Rudy is the program director for Housing Works LA, which provides equal and fair access to housing and human services for people with limited income. And we are so lucky to be talking to. Dorothy as well, who was homeless herself for 15 years and now works as a homeless advocate at Housing Works LA with Rudy. Dorothy and Rudy are two of my favorite people we've ever had on the show. Their stories and their work is incredible. Uh, They are such warm-hearted, open people who care so much about the work that they're doing and the work that they're doing is so important. And it's the kind of topic that almost everybody, you know, uh, often we do, topics on our show that try to build empathy in the viewer, right? We're trying to make you maybe feel a little bit of empathy or relate to a person that you haven't before or see the world through someone else's eyes. I think the issue of homelessness, I think all of us feel empathetic towards that. I think that's an issue that for everyone, you know, almost everyone struggles with homelessness in their community. Everyone wants to know how to solve it. And everyone is frustrated that we aren't making better progress. Um, And so the incredible thing about Dorothy and Rudy's work is that it actually is a little bit of a light in the tunnel of how we can make a dent in this chronic problem. I'm really looking forward to talking to them. Let's just get right to the interview. Here we go. Well, I'm here with Dorothy Edwards and Rudy Salinas from Housing Works LA. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Hi,
0: Adam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you guys were on the housing episode, and and I think um, that segment we were just saying before we started the, the tape rolling, I think was one of my favorites this season because I think that it's uh, it's such an intri- homelessness seems like such, a, such an intractable issue to us, and and one that we're like faced with every day. But we 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 all feel we all want to help, and we all feel helpless about. Um, right. And it was really wonderful to, you know, hear from you guys, like personally about, uh, you know, just like put that personal face on it.
2: Thank you. We do appreciate the fact that you actually highlighted it in your show and feel it's very important. We are in this field of work because we consider this to be possibly the most serious problem that the city's facing.
1: Really? L.A. specifically? Correct. Yeah. But is
2: is L.A.'s homeless problem uh, atypical of other cities? I think it's always been largest. In the country. Yeah. For as long as I've been doing this kind of work, I've often been told that we have the largest homeless population anywhere in the United States. Really? Yes. And I think, obviously, there's a series of factors that causes that problem to be the size or the way it is here in Los Angeles. I think if uh, listeners who live in the Los Angeles area look around on their way to work or as they drive in recent years, they'll see that the problem has become more visible than it has in the past.
1: Um, but it, it also struck me as LA, when I moved here from New York as being much more, um, intense in that in New York there's sort of you know there's a lot of shelters and and I think homeless out in the outer boroughs and then there's a few people on the street it's sort of in every neighborhood but in LA it's more these sort of colonies or or uh, encampments encampments thank you that's the yeah. better word of you know and, so you get the sense of oh it's a much more endemic it's more striking to to witness it it fades into the
2: background less it's true it, an old supervisor of mine used to often say that because we're a city driven by the vehicle the problem is often out of sight and out of mind. Yeah. Typically, the only time a commuter ever saw a homeless person was when he was about to get on the freeway or he or she was about to exit a freeway. I think uh, the size of the problem has been quite huge in the past. And we've now as a community, as a collaborative, through the leadership of the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, have been able to count uh, the population. We do so every year now. Mm-hmm. And those numbers have indicated a spike, if you will, in recent years. But I think it's important to note something you just said, which is that these are populations that are made up of individuals who are resilient, who Mm -hmm. try to find a way to survive, who create their own communities in encampments and in places that are often, you know, just completely overlooked or sometimes just noticed when you're driving by a freeway.
1: Right, and so would you guys just uh, uh, before we get back into the broader discussion sure. of the of the problem, just describe uh, uh, Rudy and Dorothy a little bit about like what you what you do, what your day to
2: day kind of is. Sure, I could start by introducing myself. My name is Rudy Salinas, and I am with Housing Works. I represent an agency that's made up of about thirty staff that are solely focused on the goal of housing chronically homeless individuals. We have uh, housed. Hundreds of individuals throughout the county of Los Angeles, and when I say housed, I mean quite literally taking individuals that we encounter that are living in places not meant for human habitation, Mm -hmm. uh, helping them get their essentials in place, helping them get income through whatever benefits they're eligible for. And literally negotiate with landlords or property managers in order to house them. Mm -hmm. And then the work begins. We ensure that they remain housed. We remain present for as long as it takes. Our motto, whatever it takes, as long as it takes, (laughs) is basically (laughs) the reason why we're able to do what we do with the hundreds of people that we've housed thus far.
1: The problem is homelessness, and you are working to put those folks in homes and to solve that problem directly.
2: Correct. Our the main purpose of our agency is to create community for people in their own housing that they can flourish in and for us to be part of their lives so that we can ensure that we serve as nets, if you will, to catch them should they fall again. Because taking a person who's been on the streets for, you know, dozens of years and expecting them to suddenly understand what rent Looks like, and how right. to turn the lights off is something quite different <laughs> right. and yeah. daunting.
1: And then Dorothy, you, you're—I think you describe as a homeless advocate—is that correct?
0: Yes. And
2: I'm, and so, what,
1: what do you do in that capacity?
0: Um, I first, I'm going to say my name is Dorothy Edwards, and I work with Housing Works as sure. a peer case manager, and I also um, am working at a building uh, from chronically homeless folks. Uh, that we, supp- we supply supportive services to them, and I do enrichment services coordinator. and But Rudy, he housed me. Really?
1: Ru- Rudy himself? So well, what he just described as, well... Well, uh, the agency. The agency did. Right, okay. Housing
0: Works, so, California. Rudy, are you
1: laughing like, well, it wasn't you
0: personally? Uh, no, but-
2: I'm smiling though because I think uh, it seems like she's giving us credit. She did a lot of the work necessary in order to ensure that her life would be in such a place that she could get housed. So I think really Dorothy's being extremely generous by saying we did, but I think we did play a role in tandem together.
1: Well, so for those who didn't who didn't see the episode and listening to listening to this episode fresh, so so Dorothy, you uh, my understanding is you were, yourself were homeless for a number of years.
0: Yes, and 15 years. Well, I was homeless 8 years, then I was I got a job for 4 years and then I had domestic violence and I became homeless again for 7 years.
1: Really. So yes. so 15 years cumulatively but over the span of a couple decades. Yes,
0: basically on and off all my life though. I, I, this is the only time I've ever had a stable home.
1: Really, for, for your entire life, going back from your childhood, or well,
0: I was I was raised in the in the sixties and seventies, and I, when you know, in nineteen seventy, everybody hitchhiked around, and everybody was partying, and I was one of those people, <laughs> and I was in trouble at school because the people I was running with it wasn't the people I was running with; it was me. That's yeah. just how I chose to live. Right. Because um, I came from a really, um, a very good family, but went through a very nasty divorce. And um, my stability was yanked out from under me. So, you know, I was, I was like, what the heck? What do I have to lose? <laughs> you know? So it's, it was a decision I made, but I always wanted to have a home. But I never had the education to have a job. To be able to support myself by myself, I was very codependent on, on men, and they were abusive. Um, you know, when you pick men like that, you have a pattern. Yeah, and a lot of us do it, and and I did it, <laughs> and so I I finally became homeless, and the last time um, was the end. I was just I had it, and I was out there for a long time. It's a very desperate world out there.
1: Yeah, can you? I. I... I don't want to, you know, ask you to describe anything that that would make you uncomfortable to describe. But I, I think for most people, they sort of see the exterior aspect of homelessness, or they see, you know, they see a tent on the side of the freeway, or they see sort of like a shape underneath a doorway, and they don't, you know, they sort of wonder. What is that life like, but they don't they don't have any first hand knowledge of it and and so I'm just you know curious if you can describe what what that experience is or what that lifestyle if you can call it a lifestyle is like
0: i you know I do that today when I'm driving down the street, and now that I'm in the housing industry and I'm doing everything I can to put myself out there to help the community. The thing is, is I still drive by and I see a tent, and I know there's a human being in there. There's a soul in there. Mm-hmm. It's somebody's daughter, or somebody's son, somebody's brother, or sister, you know, and or somebody's mom or father, you know. And and I know, I know what it's like in there. It's it's a closed off world where you um, you're very uh, keeping to yourself. You don't trust the outside world, and it's, it's difficult sometimes to even leave that. Tent because it's your safe space. It's difficult to even leave to go to Target to use the restroom, because people look at you like, "Oh my God," you know. Right. But, you know, it's, it's very degrading.
1: Yes. Uh, and wh- where did you, uh, you know, where did you live during the majority of that time? On like.
0: <clears throat> well, the guy that was um, abusive to me he um would follow me around all over everywhere that i was sleeping really and then the police were involved and then you know my spot was blown so i didn't have my dog then but so i would climb up on rooftops <laughs> cuz <'cause> he couldn't <laughs> find me wow <laughs> so i slept on like basically um i would say 30 rooftop rooftops in pasadena
1: Wow. And you you were being sort of chased around the city by this man? Well,
0: he wasn't actually chasing me. He yeah. was trying to make things work because, you know, we uh-huh. were together for a long time because um, we were sober for three and a half years together. And then I relapsed, then he relapsed and we relapsed together. And uh, that's when it became abusive.
1: Wow. Yeah. And then how did you then transition to the place in your life where you are now?
0: Well, <laughs> it was not by any of my doing in, in the beginning, well, actually. You, you guys are having
1: an <laughs> argument then, because Rudy just gave Dorothy all the credit, and then she said... <laughs> well,
0: I, well, what I'm saying is, in the beginning, it was not by my doing, but it was when Housing Works stepped in, and um, they were doing the 2011 Homeless Count, and they were doing... Uh, there was a, a program going across the country called 100,000 Homes America, and they I qualified, and I was uh, one out of 20 most vulnerable, most likely to die on the streets in a year. Really? When they found me, yes.
2: I think it's it's important to note that, um, to give some historical perspective, that over the last five to eight years, communities finally decided that they were fed up with the issue mm-hmm. and took a very unique approach that was introduced by efforts that were led in New York. And that's a very simple concept. For about a week... An army of volunteers and people employed in the homeless industry, if you will, would go out for a whole week at night, between midnight and let's say four in the morning, and actually meet, interview, and count as many homeless people as they possibly could in each community. Mm-hmm. If you happen to be one of those people they encountered, they would ask if you could have they could have five minutes of your time to interview you, and they would conduct a very simple forty question you know forty question questionnaire, right. basically allowing them to ask questions that would help determine vulnerability. Mm -hmm. At the conclusion of these efforts, a list was created that allowed each city to look at its entire homeless population, but more specifically, at which portion of it is considered vulnerable. When I say vulnerable, this is going to sound quite crude, but these are folks that if you left them unattended for a year longer, could possibly die Mm -hmm. due to mental health conditions, due to physical health conditions, and due to the lifestyle that they are presently living in. It was during one of these efforts in Pasadena that we met Dorothy, and we were introduced to a person who was considered extremely vulnerable and living on the streets of a community that was willing to do something, finally, to address the issue. The priority would be to those folks deemed vulnerable to get them connected to housing. The city actually went through the trouble of acquiring subsidies in order to dedicate those subsidies to those individuals deemed most vulnerable so that an agency like ours could work in tandem with the city and with the individual in order to begin a plan to get this person as quickly as possible into housing.
1: Got it. So the uh, – and it was part of this this sort of new philosophy of, of housing being the first priority in order to uh, solve those problems.
2: Correct, correct. And I should say that the effort isn't unique to just the city of Pasadena. Uh, it started in Skid Row many years ago with... Uh, Which is
1: an area sort of in downtown LA. Correct. Right? It's a
2: very densely populated area that has a very significant homeless population and historically has had for many, many years.
1: Yeah, to the extent that's the neighborhood designation is Skid Row. Correct. Yeah. It's
2: the name that's given. Uh, it's, I want to see a 16 square block area that has upwards of 2,500 people sleeping unsheltered on the streets. Wow. And... I think, like I said, the first time this occurred in Los Angeles, it happened there in Skid Row. However, the effort was quickly copied in other communities, such as West Hollywood, Santa Monica, Long Beach, Pasadena, and eventually led us to Dorothy, allowed us to meet Dorothy. And I think I can see, Dorothy, I don't know if this is accurate or not, that a group of strangers suddenly approaching you, offering you services, may have <laughs> seemed a little bit intimidating.
1: Right. What, what was that like if you're, if you're on the street and that happens?
0: Well, it was crazy. (laughs) I was um, I was uh, fortunate enough to be walking by a Goodwill that night, and I happened. That was before I had my camp, and I happened to see a couch donation, and it was turned um, facing in the wall, and I thought, oh my. God that's where I'm sleeping tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, it, that was a, that was like a a wonderful sight like you were oh excited God. to see
0: it. it, it oh, you know when you're sleeping on the concrete your whole body aches it just it just pulls your energy from you and and like yeah. your hips and just it's very very hard. Um I'm sure. and I it, the, all I could see is just comfort. And so at 4 o'clock in the morning, I these headlights pull up, and I think it's somebody going to donate something, and I'm hoping they're not going to see me. But then they're going, Gunner, they're calling my dog, and I'm going, who is this? And then all these people got out and came towards me, and I was, like, scared to death.
1: <laughs> Wait, how did they know the name of your dog?
0: <laughs> because somebody from another camp said, go, go find Dorothy. Ah. She has a dog. She's over at Goodwill because they saw me there. <laughs> 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 and so um, so they did the, the vi Spadat and the – The survey. That's the vulnerability Vulnerability index, correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and what,
2: what are those questions? I'm just curious. <clears throat> so, so they range. I think they start from – got to just first set the, the location, get a sense of this in your mind, that you're a volunteer and you're walking up to a homeless person and you're about to ask them some very serious questions about their health. Right. So I think it has to start from a place of trust where hopefully you're with somebody who actually does this kind of work for a living, such as a street outreach worker – Or perhaps in the presence of a volunteer who happens to know the folks within a certain encampment or community. But the questions are really strong. The questions, you know, ask, uh, have you had a drink today? When was the last time you saw a psychiatrist? Have you seen a psychiatrist? Have you ever been forced to a hospital against your will? You know, the, the questions are trying to establish some sense of the person's vulnerability based on their ability to be able to tell you this. Mm-hmm. You must take into account that it's been estimated that 30% of the population living on the streets of Los Angeles suffers chronic uh, mental illness. I'm sure yeah. So I think there are from time to time occasions where you may want to have the best intentions to conduct this interview, but the person lacks the ability or their wherewithal to actually be able to answer the questions in a cohesive way. Right. So I think the questions, like I said, will allow for us to establish some sense of how vulnerable is this person. If, like in Dorothy's case, she had indicated that she was going to the hospital with frequency or that she was experiencing issues, let's say, related to drugs or alcohol, you take that into account with how long she's been homeless and her age. And you start to kind of figure out that there is a pattern here that indicates within how these tests are scored that this person is then deemed quite vulnerable. I see.
1: And so as a result of of how vulnerable you were you were ranked I suppose then then that was what sort of kicked the program into gear to set her, set you up with housing.
0: Yes, I think one of the questions they asked me was um, have you ever been suicidal? And I uh, my reply was yes, I just uh, checked myself into Los Encinas on a 3-day hold because I was ready to go in it and um you know, I was out trying to get a dollar twenty-five for a one-way ticket on the bus to the bridge. I mean, but who does that? Yeah. You know, that's that's what I mean about the desperation. And I'm so glad it didn't happen. It's like, no. <laughs> I think I, we all are. <laughs> I, I look at my life today, and my life is so amazing, and and I owe it all to Housing First, because um, Housing First they they give you the stability to move on from, to, um, to you have good steady footing. So you can go to school, and you can get a job, and you can just uh, uh, go into treatment. And, and I had all of those um, things done, and I did all of that. And, really? And my life's so amazing now. So so let me ask,
1: because you said that you were you were on the street for, for eight years or so, mm-hmm. and then you got a job for a number of years, and then you ended up on the street again. And so what is it about the Housing First model, about being housed in the way that you know these programs do that enabled that change to take place. That 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 made it difficult before. You know what? Because it sounds like you were it sounds like you were trying before. That that uh, that that period you did have a period of stability, but then things didn't hold together. Or
0: yeah, I was really trying, and um, and I was dealing with um, a really severe um, PTSD issue, which I, I've done a lot of therapy, and it's yeah. it's behind me, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, it, it, you know, when uh, when Housing Works came to me, they told me they said, um, "We don't expect you to quit using drugs, uh, but we do. We do want to introduce you to a harm reduction technique, which mm-hmm. is like we like to monitor. But, you know, you don't have to use that much and slowly. And but the thing, you know, gradually you can you can get t- away from the drug use. But what they told me and they met me where I was at, and that was so important and the trust is number one and the relationship that they built with me, it made me feel like I could I can count on them and but you know, they loved me until I could love myself. Wow. And and whatever it takes for as long as it takes. And um but my case manager, Mr Sean Morrissey, he told me, he said, you know, Dorothy he goes. Uh, we don't expect you to quit using drugs or drinking, but our hopes for you are that once you become stable, that you make better decisions for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I did.
1: <laughs> wow. And and so that sounds like there's a lot of casework being being done as well. But the but that the the housing itself is sort of the critical piece of the puzzle, or
2: right? It's housing that should be available to a person like Dorothy without the expectation that she needs to show merit or pee in a Mm. cup in order to pass a drug test or, you know, prove herself worthy by, you know, following a curfew or doing chores. I say that because I think to give a sense of the history of how homeless folks have been served in the past, please, there was a continuum in place that relied quite heavily on emergency homeless shelters to provide immediate locations for folks to sleep in at night. There was a continuum in place that expected a person to go through emergency shelter, which can be up to 90 days, and to prove that they can get an ID, that they can follow a curfew, that they can stay in a facility, behave themselves, not use drugs, and, you know, obey the rules, let's say, of said shelter. And for as best as the intentions may be, obviously, there is only a portion of the population that's going to be capable of following that. If you graduated from that environment, you then moved to what was a transitional shelter, which was a little less full. It was a bit smaller, and the stay was a bit longer. You could stay anywhere between, let's say, 18 months to three years. But at that point, it's assumed that you've stepped up a level, and now you're able to save some of your money. Now you're able to set aside 75% of your income to eventually come back to you to help with, let's say, rent or costs associated with moving into housing. I mean, the continuum at the time was what I've been familiar with in the 15 plus years that I've been doing this work. I used to go out in a van and talk to folks like Dorothy with the goal of trying to get them into an emergency shelter and connecting them to a mechanism, if you will, that expected them to prove themselves capable or worthy of Mm -hmm. being able to get housed. And as much as I respect the fact that I did that and understand that it's part of our history collectively here in Los Angeles, it basically just... Created a thing where at the end, the only folks being housed were those folks who were able to stay housed. Those folks who could follow instructions or orders or who could, you know, obviously prove themselves worthy of that. No knock on that. I think now we woke up and came to the realization that in order to fully employ housing first, we must adopt the principles of harm reduction and recognize that the fact that you're using won't keep us from trying to house you. It's something we will address during the process, but it's not going to prevent us from advocating with you with a landlord in order to get you housed. I think it's also important to note that if you look at it from another perspective, allowing people to linger endlessly on the streets without a housing strategy creates not just the human dilemma of that person becoming quite vulnerable and possibly dying in the streets. But it also creates a cost associated to that community. Right. How many times has this person been hospitalized? How many times has the police been called? Yeah. You start to add up those costs and you start to realize that allowing a person to stay on the streets is infinitely more expensive than it would be if you actually came up with a plan to house them and actually keep them housed.
1: Absolutely. And that's and that's sort of the the new sort of cost rationale that, that I think has it sounds like has made housing first such a, a burgeoning model or or. Help gain acceptance, but there's there's also just the issue to which, you know, as just the average person, uh, you know, doesn't want people to be living on the street, both for reasons of empathy, because what a horrible thing to have to happen to people, and then also for the quality of life of the city itself that it's that it's simply not good to have people living on the street that it's that it's not nice for an area that it's that it's you know bad for it's bad for everyone like it's not a it's not a problem that's just bad for the people experiencing it but it 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 hurts the quality of life of every person um living in the community
2: that's absolutely true Mm -hmm. It, it can be said that in the time that dorothy was in pasadena i think pasadena was your community right dorothy yes and it was a place that you had lived in, or that you had some familiarity with.
0: Yes, I had my job there for four years, and when I became homeless, I would run across my customers because I worked in a in a very nice restaurant. It was a uh, a delicate or not a delicate, yeah, a delicatessen, a cafeteria. Mm. It was called Beatles. and it was uh, forty six years in business. <laughs> and it was like all the we had great people, and they all knew me, and I all knew their, I knew all their names. But they'd see me out there, and they'd saw, they saw me with my makeup off, and my gold gone, and my diamond gone, and and my nails not done, and my hair just a mess. And they're like, "What happened to you?" You know. And it was so humiliating. Right. But it was—I was doing the best I could out there. To, but I just didn't have the money to go do all that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I think
2: you should, one should bear in mind that when a person is in a certain community, it's important to understand that more often than not, they have a link to that community. Mm -hmm. I've learned from many folks who've taught me the work I've done that folks often lived in a community where they're experiencing homeless, either went to school or had a job in that community. And I sometimes like to reflect on my own life that if tomorrow I lost my home and I didn't have anywhere to sleep, Why would I move to a place foreign to me or unknown? Right. I would tend to stay in an area where I know I may have some friends that may let me me sleep on a couch one night or who might be able to give me a meal. So I think the reason I share that is because it's important to note that there's this idea or notion that's often mistaken that folks are being moved or that homeless Mm -hmm. are being pushed around the city due to, let's say, police decisions or due to, you know, different laws, if you will. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that the fe- the people that you see in your community around you more often than not came from that area.
1: Yeah, there's even conspiracy theories about, oh, they bust them in from Correct. stuff like that, that that I've heard people <laughs> say, which is an insane idea. I mean, I'm sure there are strange... I'm sure historically there have been strange homelessness management strategies that some cities have employed that maybe would result in relocation there, like that. But
2: There is truth in that. Know. I think historically Los Angeles is such a complex tapestry of history was yeah. it relates to homelessness, that it's good to understand how we ended up where we are now. I think it allows me to, Adam, to add the fact that one of the reasons or one of the key issues that we must consider as to why we have such a scale of problem as we do now has to do with the cost of housing Mm -hmm. it has to do with the fact that if you receive a welfare check every month for 220 dollars, or you receive a social security check for 800 bucks the average rent in this uh city could be three times that amount yeah so it's not a thing easily afforded by even folks who are fully employed
1: well i'm here talking to dorothy edwards and rudy salinas from housing works la we will be back in just a moment so stick around Listen up, Midwestern Max Funsters. Do not miss out on the inaugural Chicago Podcast Festival, November 17th through 19th. Catch the hilarious ladies of Lady to Lady and the witty and incisive Ineke and James from Minority Corner. Plus, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne will feature interviews with some pretty heavy hitters like Andre Royo and Dwayne Kennedy. Don't snooze. Don't lose. Tickets are available right now. Visit MaximumFun.org and buy them. I'm here talking to Housing Works Program Director Rudy Salinas and housing advocate Dorothy Edwards, who both appeared on the housing episode of Adam Ruins Everything, talking about homelessness. You said something earlier about, you know, the the system only helping those who could make it themselves. Sure. And what strikes me the most about what's wrong about that way of thinking is that it seems like, look, we all know that it's hard to get along in our society, that it's not a society that takes care of you, that that you have to struggle in. And there are going to be folks that can't, you know, that for one reason or another of of situation or because of who they are, the situation they were in, can't make that struggle. They can't make rent. And so they end up on the street. And of those people, there are going to be some people who, you know, uh, can't you know, dig themselves out of it um, because that's the society we set up. It's sort of adversarial. It's one that you have to sort of fight to to stay alive in. And so if we want to, you know... uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just odd. It's sort of where, where it runs into the, we, you know, there's, there's this idea of America as being very competitive and you're as successful as you can be and as a meritocracy and stuff like that. But then, all right, so even if we take that as granted, even if you accept that point of view, which some people do, well, then those who don't, you know, succeed in the meritocracy, are they just, you know, are we going to leave them to die on the street or are we going to have... Compassion and help them to a certain extent uh, to the, to, the, to the smallest extent possible, and so everyone 's answer to that would be yes, I would right. imagine
2: no true it, it what you say speaks to the fact that, despite all of the pessimism <laughs> that could be taken from some of what we 've talked about tonight, there are more than two hundred agencies involved working in tandem, holding hands now, yeah, the barriers that once separated us have been knocked down, and we now work in tandem under the leadership of the city and the county in order to try to create that net that the city has been lacking for decades. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is just that as the gap becomes wider between the very rich and the very poor, we stand at the potential of possibly having a population that's been ignored historically for a significant amount of time yeah. that now is aging and coming to a point now where, quite frankly, it's not uncommon to find homeless individuals deceased in the places that we find them. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a po- an aged population that you now run the risk of having die on your streets mm-hmm. unless you as a community can take the time to find appropriate options for them.
1: Right it really does go hand in hand with the uh, you know that whole episode that we did is about the you know the problems in the housing system and how expensive everything is and and it's uh not a surprise that in this uh, you know that we'd have rising homelessness at a time when when the it seems to me that the skyrocketing cost of housing is one of the bi- huge unexamined issues in our entire political system i'm am shocked that the presidential candidates aren't talking about it because if you go to any city in the country people say it's the the cost of housing has skyrocketed rocketed here. No one says it's cheap to live here and everyone can find a place to live.
2: Right. It's an issue that is quite uh, ignored, if you will, in much of the political talk. I think your comment reminds me that it's important to note that this year during the election uh, there is a proposition in Los Angeles. That's Mm. Proposition Triple H, H -H -H, Mm H-H-H, which is for a slight increase in property tax that would go towards funding the basically providing the funds necessary to house the homeless in Los Angeles. And it's part of two efforts that will obviously take place this year and next year to put ballot initiatives in place to help the public understand that in order to pay for this problem, in order to address it, in order to provide the funds necessary to house the folks that we're working with, we need funds. We need sources made available to us that are not available as often as we'd need them to.
1: But so let let me ask you this. Do you have optimism about this this problem um, because it it seems that uh, you know, the sort of housing first model is is one that it works. It's one that appeals to almost everyone. You know, politically, you can find a good political argument for almost everything. It saves money. It, you know, makes our cities more livable. It helps people who everyone wants to help. It seems to be a, a no lose situation. It, you know, there's there's initiatives like that on the ballot. Correct. It, there's. You know, this model is sort of being put into place across the country. Do you, you know, what it seems as though homelessness is one of our most intractable social problems, but it also seems like maybe we're moving the needle. Do you feel that way or no?
2: I, I think I could start by saying that for me personally, I've, like I said, I've been doing this for 15 years. And uh, for the first five or so, I often used to think this is something I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. This is something that regardless of how hard I work and how hard my colleagues work to address the issue, we're always going to be in this type of work because this thing will not stop. But it wasn't until Dorothy's situation came up and we started doing what happened with Dorothy and putting folks directly in housing that I actually started to see the light at the end of the tunnel, that I realized for the first time, we as partners have the recipe, know the answer, have the blueprint necessary to understand how it ends. I think the question mark for all of us now is, will our elected officials and will the city and county follow our you know, advice? Yeah and help create the housing stock necessary for us to house these folks. I think a piece of it is well within our control. It gives us the optimism to know that we can end it. The piece that's outside of our control is the decision-making and the policymakers' plan to advocate for the need for more affordable housing in the city and the county of Los Angeles.
0: I just wanted to say that um, um, the collaborative effort that everybody is doing together instead of working against each other is very powerful. And um, um, I'm very grateful. Housing Works directed me towards uh, Corporation for Supportive Housing for this uh, Speak Up Advocates training, and so I took that, um, and I graduated, and I flew to Houston, and they asked me to be a board member. So now I go to New York, and we do policy, wow. and um, and we're very powerful, and Housing Works is very powerful. And the speak up advocates are very powerful because they go to state and local local, state and national levels and they speak to very important people. And I owe this to the Housing World. So, <laughs> again, you know. Yeah. Um it's um it's amazing and you know, I look at it like this. Four years ago I lived on the side of the freeway and I used to fly a sign, Help Me, I'm hungry, I'm homeless. And now I at JFK, <laughs> and I got a guy with an iPad that has my last name on it. <laughs> you know, that's I mean, a great feeling. And and that's because because of uh, the the efforts that Housing Works put towards me, and that's the efforts of harm reduction. Yeah, and I'm clean and sober for over three years, and housing Housing First works. Yeah. It's it's the opportunity that I was looking for instead of climbing that ladder and getting shot down, climbing that ladder and getting shot down because I was unable to follow every little yeah. thing. Yeah.
1: But then but then when you Ooh. tell when you tell me that 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 you're if you tell me that um you know, in one sentence, hey, I used to live on the street and now I fly all over the country advocating for the homeless. I think, wow, you must be a really remarkable person. And talking to you, I do feel that you're a remarkable person, that you're, you. that you, you, you know, that you must have great inner strength and, and great drive and and all those things that, that would make that a success. But you also describe yourself as it, earlier being unable to make that change until uh, until you had that help. So do you feel that, You know, everyone in who is in the situation that you are in has that within them, or or do you feel that you are remarkable?
0: Almost all of them, yes, yes. Like I said, there's somebody's daughter, you know, somebody's mother. The thing is, is um, is when I got housed and my friends, my homeless community, were still out there, I told myself I'm gonna do whatever I can to help my friends, and so I started advocating. But, you know, through the years, so many of my friends have died
2: yeah. on
0: the streets all the time. It's like and so it makes me go harder, go harder. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's it's very, very sad out there.
1: What do you wish for uh, for, you know, the sort of average person listening in their car, you know, driving around wherever they are in the country? What, what do you wish that they understood about the homeless or the problem of homelessness that that maybe they don't?
0: that they would recognize them as human beings who are in a circumstance that they probably would never, ever want to be in and Mm -hmm. to always have love and um, just say hello to them. Just recognize that they exist because that's very powerful. You don't have to give people money. You don't have, you know, just say hi. How are you today? (laughs) And treat them like a human being. That's the most powerful thing somebody could do.
2: Wow. Yeah, I was going to add, I think it's important regardless of where you are in this country to recognize that there probably is an effort locally. There mm-hmm. probably is a leader, an agency, a church, an uh, entity somewhere in your community that's actually looking at the issue quite seriously and trying to build enough momentum to address the matter. I think it's important to note that if you are in a major city, try to understand how the continuum works in your city. Take a few minutes to literally Google it on your phone to see if you might actively be a part of it as a volunteer, as a person who goes out to count when counts take place, or even as a donor because it's important to note that agencies like ours are nonprofits mm-hmm. that do depend on, you know, government grants but also rely quite heavily on donations from Neighbors in our community to give to us so that we're able to actually do the work we do.
1: Is there? Let, let me just ask uh, before we finish, because because you described that there is sort of an old fashioned way of doing it that that's you know with the continuum and the and the testing and, and etc. And then there's the approach that you take now. Is there a way for people? You know, someone lives in not in Los Angeles, in Tulsa, and they want to know, you know, hey, which which organization you know can I find is is doing it in in this way? Is there a?
2: Sure, sure. I think uh, I think it's. If you're in somewhere in the Midwest or somewhere in this country that's far from Los Angeles, (laughs) uh, do take the time to just maybe go on Google and look at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. Mm -hmm. Go on their website and take some time to actually explore what it states as far as efforts go because there are links within their website that will isolate your community in order to see what's working in your area. I think the other thing is just literally type the word homeless and type the name of the city that you're in because more often than not you will see that there is a link to either a food pantry or some type of effort that's strictly dedicated to addressing the issue yeah. in your community. I think the other thing too is just like I said, it's just to understand that uh, we're not <laughs> talking about rocket science. We're talking about <laughs> taking homeless folks and literally giving them homes. Yes. And I think if in there the is... Life. <laughs> yeah. I think if there's a genuine uh, display of effort being offered in the, your community near where you live, I think it's important to at least have the wherewithal to recognize that it's there. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, thank you guys so much for talking to us. Um, thank
0: you, Adam, for having us. Yeah, having me. <laughs> I,
2: I know this is going to sound awfully hey. self-serving, but do I even have the opportunity to plug our website or? To I would love you to encourage. I would- I would love you to. Yeah, just encouraging listeners to take the time to go to HousingWorks' website, which is www.housingworksca.org, yeah. in order to see the work we do. And if you even consider donating to us, we could use the money for built for move-in kits for folks that were moving into housing that could make use of linens, pillows, or very simple things that we take for granted. Got it. Adam, thank you for this.
1: Oh, thank you guys so much. It's It's so wonderful to... Uh, I, you know, again, it's the, you know, the the problem is one where you you just drive around your city and it hurts your heart to see. And then talking to you guys made me, you know, it gave me a reason, you know, for hope for the for the problem, um, and for you know, and and to understand it more on a personal level, which which gave me, you know, it gave that emotion somewhere to go, and and gave made me feel like there was some way that I could help. So it's been uh, wonderful for but me to I meet think you.
2: From our perspective, it's not often that we have. Uh, the privilege of meeting someone who's willing to engage in an intelligent manner who understands it because you have demonstrated some level of understanding it that we often don't see when dealing with the media or the press or what have you but for us it's an incredibly encouraging thing and we do uh, wish you well and hope all of the best for you Well, that an just, honor. oh
1: it's an honor to meet you guys that made me feel really nice but that's not, you know what it's not about me but I very much appreciate it Please. so <laughs> thank you guys so much thank you so much Rudy and Dorothy thank you Adam thank you guys thank
0: Thanks. you Adam Well, thank you
1: once again for coming on the show, Rudy and Dorothy. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. And that is it for Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. This week, we will be back in two weeks, so please tune in then. Our producer is Shara Morris. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. Again! Don't forget, Adam Ruins Everything, the TV show, airs on Tuesdays on True TV. And once again, Adam Ruins Everything, the TV show, airs on Tuesdays on True TV. New episodes again starting in November. And you can find clips and full episodes at truetv.com slash Adam Ruins Everything and the Watch True TV app, which is, I bet, it's on the App Store, probably Google Play. Would you bet? I think so. Maybe not Amazon App Store. Does anybody use that? Maybe if you got a Fire tablet, but who does? Uh, Hey, watch out if you got a Samsung. Those explode. All right. That's it. Don't use that, Shara. Uh, My name is Adam Conover. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you in two weeks. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.